It's one of my favorite days of the year. Today is the feast of Felicity and Perpetua. So this is rad. I don't know, has anybody ever heard of them? You've heard of them in the Litany of the Saints in the Mass. So Felicity and Perpetua um, were martyred in the year 205 in Carthage in a Roman game arena um, with a group of other Christians. And they were young Roman nobles, young women. Um, and they discovered Jesus. And they were announced their Roman nobility. And they were imprisoned. One of them had a nursing child. And their families, who were not Christian, were begging them. Renounce. Just, just, just as a facade, just publicly. Renounce the name of Jesus. Look, you have, we have everything. We have palatial estates. We have esteem in society. We have the honor of the nobles. Everyone in Rome respects us. And you're bringing dishonor on our family by joining some, some fad out of Palestine. What is the matter with you? You have a nursing child. They're going to kill you. And Felicity and Perpetua, with a wild love for Jesus, <laughs> they, they took this to prayer. They took the love of their families. And they sat down in prayer and they, and they prayed all night in vigil. And in this night, they had these uh, images in prayer of the heavenly Jerusalem. And they had images of the dragon trying to nip at their heels as they were climbing a ladder. And the reason I know this is because from their own diaries in the year 205, as well as uh, the diaries of an eyewitness, we have an incredibly accurate account of the, the days leading up to, to their death and the days and the day of their martyrdom in the arena down to like what jaguar killed who, where. It's pretty gnarly. And I really encourage you to, you can just Google martyrdom, felicity, perpetua. And man, it is incredible. Um, when I worked, I worked at a, a Young Life camp and in this space of like 30 uh, evangelical Protestant friends, I printed out 30 copies of this martyrdom and I read it with them uh, when I gave a devotion one day. And we went through looking at the, how did the early Christians actually pray? And you saw the mass. You saw beautiful devotional worship. You saw the charismatic gifts flourishing. Even in the rooms, like, they would stay up all night doing praise and worship, singing hymns and singing the psalms. And they would say things together like, I hope the lion gets me. I want the most glorious death. St. Peter tells us that, that we only can rejoice in as much as we suffer um, as, as we receive suffering with, with, uh, with joy on earth for the sake of the name of Jesus. So give me the most glorious death, Jesus. They would say things like this. To us, it's like, why are you praying for the lion, you know? But this was, the, this was the mentality of the early church. It was a joy to suffer for the sake of the name. Think of Acts chapter five. Think of the apostles as they are whipped, as they are, as they are taken from the temple, and they are... Um, they're beaten, and they're walking away from their scourging, bleeding and bloodied, their backs all torn up, and they're like, dude, Peter, man, they got you so good. Oh, man. Wow, John, they like really messed up your leg. Whoa, you know, and they're like, yes, and it says, and the apostles walked away rejoicing that they had been found worthy to suffer for the sake of the name. I love this day for that reason, because Felicity and Perpetua, in a really special and beautiful way, model that for us, uh, that, that joy and suffering. So tonight we're going to have um, 
the opportunity to bring everything on our hearts back to prayer teams and into the sacrament of reconciliation. Uh, We have at least two priests, maybe three, with us tonight. And it's going to look a little different tonight. But so I'm just going to do a little pre-teaching here so you know what to expect. We're not going to have the, um, the prayer teams in the gathering area. We're going to have them in the church, and there will be a saint's name attached um, either on the wall above or to a, a group of three chairs. And so um, you're going to see the two images, the image of divine mercy and the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe. So if you're interested in a prayer team, you're going to line up at the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe. If you're interested in confession, you're going to line up at the image of divine mercy. Mercy, confession, prayer team, Our Lady. Cool? So, and Nathaniel will be playing traffic cop, so it's going to be good to go. You guys will all find a place. Um, Again, I encourage you, if you're not used to prayer teams, um, I I just invite you to open your heart and ask the, go to that space in worship and just ask the Lord, like, hey, Lord, is this this something you have for me tonight? And if you feel moved to give it a try, give it a try. Remember, we're all just humans here, and they're praying, uh, we've prayed for you for this moment since the last encounter. And we prayed, we gathered before and prayed through the space. You, you are prayed over. So um, if, if you feel moved to go get prayer, awesome. If you feel moved to, to go receive the sacrament, go for it. It's available for you. And if you'd prefer to just stay here and journal and praise and just sit and soak in the presence of the Lord, um, that is available for, for you guys as well. So thank you for your patience. Um, I'm going to welcome, who's coming from far away, our speaker tonight, Mr. Paul Albert, and he's going to tell you a little bit more about himself. So give him a warm round of applause. All right, praise the Lord. Uh, My name is Paul Albert, as it was already said. Let me start. First of all, I'm so excited to be here. Um, I've been praying, my wife and I have been praying for a very long time about um, this, this particular event and just saying, Lord, just use us as you want and really been praying for a brand new Pentecost here at Christ the King. Why not? The Lord did it once, and he could do it again. Amen? Amen. So uh, before we get into the talk, let's just ask our Blessed Mother to see for us uh, to ensure that, I don't say anything stupid, but also to ensure that uh, all of our hearts are ready for what it is that God's going to do tonight. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us. Now and at the hour of our death. St. John Paul II. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Praise the Lord. So I was told I have 20 minutes for this talk. Um, funny story. So I was a missionary in Haiti for six years. And I know there's a couple familiar faces that I've seen that have come to the life team base in Haiti. But... um. If you know anything about Haiti, nothing is ever on time. There's no such thing as a 20-minute talk. Uh, Mass is about two and a half hours long on a good day. Uh, So just, so if I go over 20 minutes, I'm so sorry. Just apologize. Statement, Father, ahead of time. I apologize. (laughs) But I'm going to keep it to to 20 minutes. So tonight, the Holy Spirit. And you guys have been, you already have been going through this series, but... We just want to dive in, continue to dive into the Holy Spirit and who he is and how he leads us into prayer and evidently how he leads us really to just to be holy. 
but who is the Holy Spirit. We say in our creed every Sunday, he's the Lord, the giver of life. We read in Acts of the Apostles that the Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father. Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit is the paraclete, the advocate. And I love this one. St. Louis de Montfort describes the Holy Spirit as one who is in this spousal relationship with the Blessed Mother. And St. Paul, I don't want to misquote St. Paul, so let me read it. He says, in the same way the Spirit too comes to the aid of our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit itself intercedes with inexpressible groaning. The Spirit of God teaches us how to pray. And I really want to jump into that a little bit more tonight. We all know the story of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. When he was beginning his his ministry, he was baptized. A dove descended upon him. The uh, the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove. Um, And he was led by that same spirit into the desert to go pray, to go fast. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into a moment of prayer because it was from that time of fasting in the desert that Jesus was going to be launched out. He was was going to forever change the world and completely transform lives because his heart was open to what it is that the Holy Spirit was leading him to do. The Spirit desires, and all the Spirit wants to do, or one of the many things the Spirit wants to do, is to bring us into deep prayer. It's to lead us, especially to Jesus and the Blessed Sacrament, and to all the sacraments, and so we can really dive into the time of prayer, because from that prayer, we get to truly know who the Lord is. And as a life team missionary, one of our commitments is, several of our commitments, is that we, we have an intense rhythm of prayer. We do a holy hour, morning prayer, and we go to Mass where it's possible um, every single day. So before we even start our day, before we do anything, sit before a laptop, send an email, whatever it may be, go out and minister, we first go to the Lord and allow the Spirit of God to fill us up for two reasons. Number one, because if the, Lord, if the Spirit of God doesn't fill me, then when I go out as a missionary, I'm given nothing but myself. And how sad would that be? That if I go out and I'm talking to a group of teenagers, young adults, whoever it may be, and all they remember is, Paul was a pretty good looking guy. <laughs> but they heard nothing I said about Jesus. How sad would that be? But if I'm truly rooted in prayer, and if I allow the Spirit to intercede on my behalf and to help me to pray, then they'll forget my name, but they will remember the only name that matters, and that's Jesus Christ. And that's all that matters. The Spirit of God desires to lead us into prayer. And I love the words of St. Augustine. He says, whether we realize it or not, prayer is the encounter of God's thirst with ours. God thirsts that we may thirst for him. Your father wants to hear your prayers. 
your father wants to hear your prayers. My wife, Anna, is back there. Wave, Anna. She's the prettiest woman in the room right there. Um, <laughs> we have four beautiful children. And Nathaniel is six years old. He's my oldest. And when I had him, um, I considered myself a pretty tough guy until I started having kids. And when I had Nathaniel, I'm like in the hospital crying, bawling my eyes out because um, I'm just so happy. Not because I'm scared, but because I'm happy. I was scared for my wife a little bit. But, <laughs> and then I had my second child, Therese, and there is something a daughter does to a father's heart. And I remember the first few years of Therese's life, every time she cried, first and foremost, Therese hated me, I swear. But <laughs> every time she cried, my heart broke. I would run to her. I'm like, baby girl, what's wrong? Tell me. Because the father desires to hear the cry of his children. And God the Father desires to hear your cry. And I'm an imperfect father. He is perfect. He wants you to put your knees on the ground. He wants you to come here during praise and worship, during these encounter nights. He wants you in mass. He wants you in holy hour. He wants to hear what it is that you have to say to him. And if you allow it, his spirit will lead you to that moment. Allow the spirit of God to push you, to compel you. Prayer is a surge of the heart. It is a simple look turned towards heaven. It is a cry of recognition and of love, embracing both trial and joy. St. Therese says. And the catechism tells us that prayer is a gift from God. My brothers and sisters, I think often we hear this term thrown out like, a life in the spirit. Those who are involved with the uh, charismatic renewal, they say, uh, they call it baptism in the spirit. And we, we hear like, what, what is this life? What does it look like? What do we mean by that? What are all these terms that people are throwing out? And I don't have time to get into the definition because 20 minutes. But what I do know is that a life transformed, a life in the spirit is a life transformed by that very spirit. So we've heard it described that God the Father loves God the Son. God the Son loves God the Father. And that love in between them is the Holy Spirit. And that is the love that transforms us. And a life transformed by the Holy Spirit will do nothing else but root you in prayer. It will root you in the sacraments. It will root you in the praise of the church, liturgy of the hours, the different devotions that the church has. It will root you into the word of God. You'll be rooted into communal prayer. And I promise you, if that happens, and if the Spirit leads you into that direction, your life will be transformed. I get an opportunity as a missionary to go... Um, to different places to speak and I've uh, gone to visit a few college campuses when we're recruiting missionaries. And every time I go to different campus ministries, I'm like, Lord, where was this? Where was this when I was in college? I, I almost get jealous, a holy jealousy if that's a thing. I almost get jealous. I'm like, man, what was this? Where was this? 
But then the Lord reminds me in my campus ministry, I won't say where because I don't want to badmouth them, but in my campus ministry that wasn't as good, how he used that anyways to transform my life, to complete, really to save my life. And if it wasn't for that time in my campus ministry, I would be dead or in jail. Those were the two options. And I remember the priest seriously would, every time he bumped into me into camp, on, on campus, he'd be like, Paul, confirmation, you know, we're going to start formation soon. Do you want to be confirmed? I'm like, Father, no, thank you. I'm good. Uh, he would see me on a basketball course, Paul, confirmation, do you want to be confirmed? I'm like, Father, leave me alone. I started running away from him because it started getting awkward. Um, and then eventually I just said yes because I felt bad for the guy. I really did. I felt bad for him. I was like, you know, I will come to your, what I said then, your stupid formation and we'll, you'll be happy. And I show up in my little interfaith chapel that they had on my campus. Um, and I go into the Catholic section. And I kid you not, Father opened his mouth. And within five minutes, I was hooked. I don't remember what he said, but I just know that I was convicted. And Father ended the session within 45 minutes. I'm like, what? Is that all? No, like, keep going, please. Then we went on for several months. And then my confirmation came. And I walk into the church. Um, I'm getting ready. They have this cheesy robe on me. <laughs> this red stole thing on me. It had me looking like a priest. It was kind of awkward. But um, I walk into confirmation and to be confirmed. And the bishop lays his hands on me, anoints me, and I turn around and a group of my friends who weren't Catholic at all but they came out uh, to my confirmation because after we would go to a bar and get turned up because that's what you do. But um, so they come to my confirmation because it's graduation. We're going to have fun. That's how, they, that's how they saw it. I turn around and I look at my friends and I'm like, I can no longer be friends with these people. And I kid you not. At the moment that the bishop laid his hands on me, the Spirit of God did something in my heart. The Spirit of God did something. It completely transformed my life. And at that moment, a decision was made that no longer can I live this life. And really, I was being a coward. Because I knew what the Lord was asking of me. I grew up in a super Catholic family. I knew what the Lord was asking. But I was being a coward. I didn't want to submit. But there's power in the sacraments. <laughs> and the Spirit of God won. And he wins every single time. Stop fighting. He wins every single time. And from there, he brought me on this journey. And it wasn't this immediate transformation. I didn't go from sinner to saint. I'm still a sinner. I'm still working on it. But slowly but surely, he started helping me detach from the different things of the world. A life in the spirit is a life transformed. A life in the spirit is a life transformed. For those of you who have been in Haiti, I'm sorry that you're hearing this story again, but a few years ago, my brother was brutally murdered up in Boston. I was on mission uh, 
I said I was a missionary in Haiti with my family. My wife and I were in bed. My phone rings at about 11.30 in the evening, and I get a phone call from my mom. And my family's originally from Haiti, so my mom has an accent. And she goes, Paul, you no longer have a brother. I go, excuse me? And I, she says that, and I literally hang up the phone. I'm like, my mom's kind of dramatic. So I'm like, she's being dramatic. I don't know if probably late. He probably just didn't come home yet. Like, she's just being dramatic. So I hang up the phone, and it goes, what's wrong? I'm like, my mom just told me my brother's dead. And, I, and it goes, call back. I call back. My dad answered. I go, dad, is, is, is mom serious? Like, what's going on? He goes, yeah, why, why would we joke about something like that? And at that moment, yeah, I have... I have never experienced such, such suffering ever before. And that was a very hard and difficult moment for me. But fast forward a week, um, the Lord would take that suffering and, again, transform it because that's what God does. That's what the Spirit of God does. The Spirit of God transforms. And we're at the cemetery, and my brother's being buried, and everyone's crying and screaming, and it's just... It's a tough moment. And my mom looks around at everybody bawling their eyes out. She goes, can I say something? Everybody's like, yes, of course, please speak. And she goes, like scripture tells us that, that death is not the end. But rather life is transformed. And as Christians, we need to have hope in the resurrection. And I have hope that my first son is back before the throne of grace, is with his father. That is my hope. And that is the hope that I'm holding on to. And if we're going to say we're Christians, we shouldn't be crying the way that we are right now, but instead we should be rejoicing. Because my son is now with the father. And I look at my mom I'm like, lady, you're crazy. But I step back and I think about it for a minute. I'm like, that is the reaction of somebody who allows the Holy Spirit to transform their life. You see, once you allow the Holy Spirit to enter your heart and enter your life, you don't see things the same anymore. Your perspective and how you look at things, it changes. But you have to give him a shot. You have to give him the chance to enter into your heart. And it was John the 23rd who would say, renew your wonder in this day, O Lord, as if it's a new Pentecost. Pentecost was not a thing that happened 2,000 years ago in the upper room with the apostles. It is that same Holy Spirit that descended upon Peter and the apostles that guides the church today. That same grace is present to each and every one of us. That same Spirit after Pentecost, after the descent of the Holy Spirit, that led Peter outside to give his first homily and 3,000 people were baptized. That same Holy Spirit is real. And wants to do it again. 
I'm not joking when I say let's pray for a new Pentecost. Why not? God is able to do it. Popes have prayed for this. JP2 has prayed for a new springtime for the church. The Holy Spirit wants to transform your life tonight. He wants to rid you of all sin. Whatever it is that's holding you back, he wants to give you the grace tonight to just kick that obstacle down, just throw it away. If it's friends, if it's a cell phone, if it's alcohol, if it's a life of partying, tonight the Holy Spirit is able to transform all of that into something beautiful. I do not deserve to say that I am a missionary. I do not deserve to hold a Bible in my hand because a few years ago I bashed this Bible. I made fun of it. I mocked the church. I made fun of our priests. I made fun of our bishops. But God had other plans. And what does the life in the spirit look like? It's a long quote, so I won't read it. I'll just sum it up. St. Paul gives us a beautiful explanation in Galatians. In Galatians 5, verses 16 to 26, to be more specific. He talks about what living in the flesh looks like. Drunkenness, envy, and the list goes on. It's about 12 things. But then he talks about life in the spirit. And it's joy. It's kindness. He gives us all the different fruits of the spirit. I've been to Louisiana before. You guys have the kindness part down pack. Like, you guys are kind, happy, joyful people. Up in Boston, it's not the case. But what about all everything else? You want to know if your life is transformed by the Holy Spirit? Go read Galatians 5. If what you're seeing is the first half of the list, ask the Holy Spirit to rid you you of that. If what you're seeing is the second part of the list, praise God and ask him for more. Tonight I had the opportunity to pray uh, with your staff and the missionaries and the volunteers. And just as we were praying just really felt this anointing and that God wants to do something new here tonight. So just the invitation as we praise and as prayer teams are happening and as confession is happening, that you ask the Lord to open your heart, to give you a greater docility to his Holy Spirit so that he can lead you where it is that you need to be. If it's confession, praise the Lord. Go be a saint. If it's prayer teams, may the Holy Spirit come and just completely wreck your life. And if it's here in worship, may God just place words on your hearts. May he allow you to see visions and may your life be completely transformed. To end, I'm going to give you guys one of the biggest secrets 
that I've discovered over the years. You want the Holy Spirit? Talk to our Blessed Mother. Pope Francis tells us in the joy of the gospel that it is because of her prayers, her praying with the apostles in the upper room, that the missionary outburst of the church was made possible. Mary, praying with the apostles, allowed the Holy Spirit to come. And tonight we're asking her to once again pray with us so that tongues of flames could descend on each one of our heads, so that we could speak new languages, so that miracles could happen in our midst, so wonders could happen, so this university could be flipped upside down and people could be like, what is going on at this Catholic center? We want it to get so crazy that Father starts getting questioned by university staff and saying, what is your cultish looking people? What are they doing? And the Holy Spirit is capable of making that happen. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen.